Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Barza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hey, Roxanne. Hi, everyone. So this week, we have a great lineup of topics, including Facebook's Oculus Rift, who has launched pre-orders in Europe. We'll talk about health startups in Scandinavia that are heating up with funding. We'll cover Swedish KRY and Finnish Brainshake. We'll also discuss the autonomous buses called Easy Mile that are taking the streets of Helsinki. Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Fergal Mullen from Highland Capital, so we'll listen to that. And finally, we'll wrap up with a discussion of whether or not the UK is really Europe's leading fintech market. So pretty good uh, lineup of topics. Let's jump right in with Oculus launching pre-orders of the VR headset in Canada and Europe. So the Facebook-owned company announced this past week that pre-orders would be available in the UK, France, and Germany. They're planning to ship the product on September 20th. In Europe, customers can purchase the headset for £549 or €699. Uh, Just to compare... In the U.S., the product sells for $599. It includes a headset, a sensor, remote, cables, Xbox One controller, and Lucky's Tail. The product is actually available via different retail partners in Europe. So that includes Amazon in all three markets. In France, it includes La Fnac, Media Market, and Saturn in Germany, John Lewis, Curry's PC World, and Game Digital in the UK. On the Oculus site where they announced the pre-orders, the company says that Europe is home to some of the most ambitious and inspiring studios creating VR content today, including Ubisoft, Sirtech, and Slightly Mad. Now, a lot of articles online are comparing Oculus with the HTC Vive headset. Oculus went on sale in January, and actually they haven't released sales figures yet. But Vive, which cost nearly $200 more in the U.S., claims to have sold 100,000 headsets since March, with 15,000 of them being sold in the first 10 minutes, according to Fortune.com. That's huge for the first 10 minutes, I feel. Actually, I don't have a good grasp of whether or not 100,000 headsets is huge. I feel like the VR market is still kind of small. But Robin, do you think you will be buying an Oculus Rift headset when it comes out? Uh, Good question. I don't think so, uh, to be honest, Uh, mostly because I'm a journalist. So per definition, I'm kind of poor. That makes the price a little bit prohibitive. I mean, it's pretty steep in terms of pricing still. Um, But it's also because I don't think it's such a bad idea to wait it out. The price would probably come down quite a bit. Uh, not just for the headset, but you also have to consider that you have to have a VR-ready PC, so you have to either buy one in addition to the headset or or upgrade your existing equipment. But it's also the titles, right? Whether it be games or other forms of entertainment, I feel like it's still very early days in terms of pricing and availability and the breadth of content, so so I think I'm going to wait it out. Um, I tried an early developer version of the Rift a few years ago, actually. Came away really impressed, as most people do when they try it out. Um, I tried a more advanced version uh, recently, but I'm not so much interested in being an early adopter when it comes to virtual reality. Overall, I think we're we're only at the very beginning of the, the revolution. Um, it's early days, and I can afford to wait for the market to kind of decide for me what the best options are, the best price. What I do think, though, I mean, considering the news that, that came out this week, um, the fact that Oculus is going to be available in more, or the Rift at least, is going to be available in more places around the world, 
um, not just in Europe, but also in Canada, I believe they, they announced. That's greatly going to spur interest in virtual reality as a whole. It's going to advance the space at the same time. Um, it's also great for startups from across Europe, uh, not just the entertainment companies and the gaming studios that Oculus uh, rightly mentions, but also any startup that has anything to do with VR when it comes to building infrastructure or technical tools or or platforms for aggregation, distribution, and, and whatever. So if VR grows, then European startups can benefit from that. Um, and finally, I would stress that the availability of the, the Rift in physical retail store Stores is going to make a ton of difference. Um, virtual reality is simply one of those things you need to experience, um, preferably with someone who can guide you through it in real life if you're a newbie. So, so I feel like being able to demo the, these headsets in real life in physical stores around Europe, it's going to make a lot of difference for Oculus. Yeah, I agree with you actually on the price being pretty steep. And I always think the first edition, you kind of always want to wait a little bit just to kind of see what happens. I think you'll probably have some VR fanatics that will completely avoid that and just go for it. Oculus is actually making a number of stops throughout Europe to present the Rift actually at different events. So um, I think people can look up on their website if they actually want to get their hands on it before they purchase. But now we have a few health startups that seem to be heating up in Scandinavia with two companies that announced funding this past week. We have Sweden-based KRY. I really hope the name of that company is not actually Cry because that's a little ironic. And uh, Finland-based Brainshake. So Swedish KRY announced a 6.1 million euro round for its app that connects patients and doctors via video for medical consultations. So essentially through the app, Patients can have a 15-minute doctor consultation that costs the equivalent of 30 euros. Actually, really not too bad, considering that every time you have to go to the doctor, you have to wait there, and you know you never actually. Um, it takes like a lot more time than actually just a 15-minute consultation. Apparently, there are already 30,000 people using the platform. All the healthcare professionals on the platform are actually employees of the startup, generally working part-time for a traditional medical center and then part-time for KRY. The round was led by Index and Scandinavian fund Creandum and Project A Ventures also participated. KRY is currently available in Sweden, but they also plan to launch in other European markets following this round. And the other company that raised funding this past week is also planning to take its healthcare service international. It's Finnish Brainshake, who secured 3.5 million euros this past week. They're way more kind of on the bioscience side. Uh, they develop blood testing and analytics service, uh, given that apparently 70% of healthcare diagnostics are based on blood tests. Funding comes from Nordia, Tiki's. Finvera and Core Group, which are predominantly Finnish firms. I actually find it really interesting that they would have so much Finnish money for a company that's trying to expand internationally. Yeah, both are very interesting funding rounds, not so much for the amounts that were raised, but it's also the products that these, these companies make or the services that they offer uh, in the development stage, but also because of the investors involved. KRY's case, uh, what I think is fascinating is that this, this promise of you know, personalized medical consultations over the internet, over video, um, it, it's sort of an old idea and an old promise. The fact that investors like Index Ventures and Project A are getting involved tells me we're about to see some, some breakthroughs here from KRY, not just in the services that they offer, but also in you know, an accelerated adoption across Europe and the markets that they enter. So maybe they know, well, the investors know something that we don't. Uh, to me, it seems like a really kind of an obvious um, startup idea that, that's been tried um, many times. So maybe just, you know, now people are more ready for it. I don't know. Um, it's just something that makes so much sense. Um, it's sometimes hard to imagine why it's taking so long for this. 
this kind of thing to take off. And also, you can already start imagining this in combination with our previous stop, which is virtual reality. Imagine, you know, no longer having to go to a waiting room, but still being able to interact with your medical professional, kind of, sort of in real life, but not really. So I can only imagine what's what's going to be possible in the next five years. Um, as for BrainShake, to be honest, uh, the science behind that one is a little bit over my head. Um, it's hard to judge the viability of the of the business and the service. What I do understand, though, is that BrainShake differentiates itself by measuring a higher number of biomarkers from a single blood sample. Um, that's more than 200 compared to a single one or maybe two, uh, as its rivals would typically do. You already mentioned this, but the company claims that 70% of healthcare diagnostics is actually based on blood analysis. So you can see why it'd be a good business to kind of make that cheap and fast and reliable. So uh, we'll see what this startup can do. Finally, I would like to stress that I'm absolutely not surprised to see so many innovative uh, health startups coming out of Scandinavian countries. It's a trend in the Nordics that's been visible for years, um, considering the high level of universities and medical laboratories across the region, the amount of talent available, the amount of capital that's going to biotech firms in the region. Um, so I would expect to even see a sharper increase of these you know, health startups expanding internationally from the Nordics in the future. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not well positioned to know about that market, but I can say that we definitely saw a few interesting firms. I also think not too long ago, there was a Swedish firm, Natural Cycles, that raised a good amount with some pretty big investors. So I think, yeah, definitely there is a strong trend coming out of uh, Scandinavia with regards to health tech. Now, everyone this last week was going crazy over Uber announcing self-driving cars, but Finland announced that autonomous buses would be taking the streets of Helsinki. So Easy Mile minibuses have been tested on roads. Um, Now they'll actually be mixing with everyday traffic. What's also really interesting is that apparently Finnish law does not require a vehicle to actually have a driver, making it an ideal location for people to test these self-driving technologies. I also was kind of blown away. I didn't know Easy Mile is actually a French company with offices in France and Singapore. They actually leverage software and robotics expertise since 2008. This technology has been powering driverless vehicles in recreation parks across Europe. They've transported nearly 1.5 million people to date. So it's not, it's not something that's kind of like just popped up uh, these last few months. I think it's really interesting actually to see a date like 2008 on driverless technology. The actual product that they're testing in Helsinki is called the EZ10, which is the name of, uh, of the vehicle. It's manufactured by a French automobile company called Ligier, who has also made other electronic vehicles and cars for Formula One. So it looks like pretty good uh, people to be working with. The EZ10 can hold up to 12 people, six sitting, six standing, can change directions without turning because of its design. And actually other locations where you can already find easy mile driverless vehicles include in France, Sofia Antipolis and Bordeaux. In Switzerland, you have Lausanne. And in Spain, you have San Sebastian. So you already have these kind of all over Europe. I think it's it's funny that we get so excited about driverless cars, but actually they're kind of already around us. Yeah, they are. And I've actually never heard of this company before. So it's, it's really interesting news to learn from. Uh, I don't have that much to add to the news other than it's cool to see Finnish roads being seen as a testing ground for driverless buses, even though they're minibuses. Obviously, the fact that the law um, allows for it <laughs> will help. Uh, but it's also cool that two French companies are behind much of the technology that powers them. And, and the fact that you know it's making headlines around the world, so so it's only going to drive up the interest in these uh, autonomous uh, vehicles, which is obviously a growing sector. Um, any company with a technological edge is going to get attention, uh, not just from potential investors, but also potential buyers um, in droves in the coming months and years. We've already kind of seen that. 
all these machine learning uh, companies being acquired, but also connected car technology, uh, anything happening around the fringes, but also actually making driverless vehicles are going to get snapped up, I'm pretty sure, quite quickly, uh, if not invested in very heavily. But I think, that, I mean, in general, people tend to underestimate the impact that these driverless vehicles will have on the planet and humanity and society. Uh, one way to think about it is covering the whole range of transportation. It's not just cars, it's trains, it's trucks, it's ships, uh, subways, and, and yes, buses, as we see with the, the easy mile test in Finland. Yeah, I think um, it's hard for people to grasp it just because it's so new and it's so exciting and you kind of don't think it's real. You feel like it's from a movie. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. It's going to have a huge, huge impact. But now, Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Fargo Mullen from Highland Capital. Hey, this is Robin from TechU. I'm here at the Europas in London. I'm here with Fergal Mullen from Highland Europe. What's Highland Europe? Hi, Robin. Uh, Highland Europe is a uh, tech-only growth stage equity firm. We invest anywhere from 10 to 30 million in high-growth assets that have achieved at least a 10 million euro revenue scale. That's our, our minimum, so to speak. Typically, at that scale, these companies are growing at north of 100% when we get involved. The larger assets that we get involved with the larger companies tend to have growth rates of a minimum of about 50%. Typically, the companies are not cash flow positive at the time of investment, but they're not far from it. But their business model is always a model that is profitable at its core. Um, and with additional scaling, we can get the business to profitability. So give us some names. So what's in your portfolio? Yeah, and over the course of Fund 1, which is a 246 million fund that we raised in 2012, we, we, have company, we have 15 companies in that fund, like Matches Fashion, Get Your Guide, Talentsoft. We have Finance Check based in Hamburg, which is a, a loan broker. We have eGym based in Munich, Outfittery, Brandwatch, which is a SaaS-based business. So roughly half the companies are software, software-enabled or SaaS, pure SaaS businesses, and the other half are consumer-facing internet, e-commerce or gaming businesses or marketplace models. Uh, Social Point is another company that's in, in Fund 1 based in Barcelona. So we're pan-European. We're investing roughly 30% of the fund has gone to the UK and Ireland, another 30% into Germany, and the balance spread across Europe. As you mentioned, you're a growth stage investor, one of very few based in Europe, investing in Europe. How do you look at the market? Because we talked about this funding gap. Um, you know, once you hit Series B, Series C, it gets very hard to raise money in Europe. Um, do you see that changing over time? Do you play an active role in that? Um, how do you see that evolving? So the funding gap, I think, has been talked about maybe a bit too much, um, especially at the, the early stage uh, level. I think there's no funding gap anymore. I think we agree on that point. At the Growth level, when, when a company needs, call it 10 to 30 or 40 million, there's very few players. You could name on one hand uh, the number of players, European players, that could write that check on a standalone basis without over-syndicating the deal, which was the typical European way of getting things done in, in the past. Some of that gap has been filled by new players like ourselves coming into the market other parts of that gap have been filled by U.S. firms flying into Europe. But what we find is that the, the fly-in U.S. deals tend to be even larger again. They tend to be more in that 30, 40, 50 upwards level. Uh, and then in, at that level and above, you have additional players who come into play, like GA Summit, TA, Index Growth, etc., who are in a, another category, just a, just a level up again. Right. Now, most regions in Europe have seen a lot of uh, momentum when it comes to tech startups in the last few years. Do you think that trend is going to continue um, or what's needed to take it to the next level? 
I think Europe is a much, much more innovative entrepreneurial center than people give us credit for. The, the issue in Europe is compared to the US and especially compared to Silicon Valley, which is often the comparison that is made, is that our competence centers, our technology centers are distributed. That's never going to change because of national interest, because of patriotism, because of political interests, etc. So I think we've got to embrace Europe for what it is. Um, we're going to have some really big tech hubs in Europe, like London and Berlin, uh, Paris even, believe it or not, Barcelona, Stockholm, and then other smaller tech hubs on the periphery. Uh, I put Dublin in that category as an example, even though it's huge from a multinational standpoint, it's a bit smaller on the actual startup scale, sure. Brussels, etc. So uh, we just have to embrace it. To, to be a, a good VC or growth equity in, uh, investor in Europe, I think we have to work differently than our colleagues do in the U.S., you can't apply the one-hour driving rule to, right. to the company. You have to apply the one-hour flying rule or two-hour flying rule. And you have to be willing to get off your butt and get out there and, and look for companies and meet lots of companies uh, daily, weekly. Um, so I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I think there's things we can do to help the market in Europe be even more innovative and to encourage young people to take more risk. Um, and the primary thing I would be focused on is tax regime right. across Europe uh, for stock options. So maybe on another note, where does Highland Europe fit into all this? How do you brand yourself? How do you position yourself? Or how do you differentiate against other you know, growth safety investors? Yeah, so we're, we're a team of, of five partners. We're a, so we're, by definition, we're a small team. We're spread between London and Geneva, but we're really um, quite virtual in, in, from an office uh, perspective in, in, in how we look at, you know, that they're just places to have a desk from time to time when we are in the office. We travel a lot together. We work our deals together. Uh, we hunt in packs, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And we tend to take the decision to the company rather than bringing the company into that famous Monday meeting right. for, for a, a final blessing and having, you know, kind of having them repeat everything they've been telling us already for the previous four to six weeks. Entrepreneurs seem to like that a lot. They like the engagement. We challenge them a lot. And that's a, a good proxy for the kind of engagement they're going to get from us at the board level. We were people first oriented. We, we really back people and we stick by them. And I would dare say that if you were to poll all of the entrepreneurs we've ever been involved with in Europe, we'd score as high, if not higher than anybody on support, on counseling, on guidance, on being a good mentor and being the good cheerleader in the board meeting at moments, that, at tough moments when, when, when a company needs a bit of a lift. That is completely underestimated in terms of what the role of a, a VC or a good growth equity investor is, it's in our nature. It's in my nature. It's in my colleagues' nature to be helpful at that level. It's a very soft thing, but at the same time, it's a very meaningful thing that ultimately delivers value to the company. Good answer. Great to learn more about Highland Europe and best of luck. Thank you, Fergal. Thank you. And finally, is the UK really Europe's leading location for fintech? According to CB Insights and KPMG, that status may be open for debate. Apparently, German fintech startups surpassed UK fintech startups in terms of funding. They secured 80% more than their UK counterparts in Q2 of 2016. Now, it's very likely that this is somehow related to UK's Brexit vote, that said, the UK actually held steady with regard to the number of deals. So there were 13 deals that were done in Q1, another 13 that were done in Q2. So that's consistent. However, the amount that was invested declined by 15 million. 
I think we've seen ups and downs, so I, I'm not 100% sure that that's going to be a steady downward trend. However, Europe as a whole apparently saw an increase in the amount invested in fintech with a rise of 66 million from Q1 to Q2. So, Robin, what are your thoughts? Do you think the UK is going to slip in terms of its status uh, as Europe's fintech leader? Oh, a loaded question. So, first of all, I haven't really been able to check the data and the, the results of the, the study that done by CB Insight and KPMG. Uh, I haven't checked it with our own numbers, which tend to be a little bit better and more detailed when it comes to the rest of Europe. That said, it's probably true that the UK is falling behind a bit when it comes to funding for fintech startups. I actually think part of the reason is that the scene is so much more mature than than other places in Europe. You know, the big or promising companies in this space have already raised massive rounds of capital in the past. They've already been well-funded, so there's less of a need for capital in the short term. So I think these these stats of you know 80% more German companies raised funding in a certain quarter doesn't really tell the whole story, in my opinion. I also have doubts in my mind that Brexit has a lot to do with it. First of all, the vote was kind of at the end of the second quarter. So you can argue that the impact of that on funding, um, is, if it has any impact, it's not going to be immediate. So you're more likely to see those trends in Q3 and maybe even Q4 rather than Q2. So I don't know if it has anything to do with it. I think anyone who claimed that the UK was the you know the absolute number one capital of European fintech, they maybe would have been right two, three years ago, but I don't think that's in any longer the case. I mean, if you look at the most valuable private fintech companies in Europe, they're Klarna, which is Swedish, and this Adyen, which is Dutch. And then Germany is producing interesting fintech startups, uh, you know, Finance Check, uh, number 26. Um, those are raising capital as well. But you could say the same for France. You could say the same for Spain. In the Nordics, there are some interesting things happening. So I think it's just fair to say that Europe as a whole is generally good at fintech, not one particular region. Obviously, the UK is strong in fintech because of its historical connection to the, the financial world. And there's going to be more funding for and, and acquisitions for UK-based fintech companies, I'm sure. Uh, it's not going to slow down as much as some people would would like it to. But you can argue that nobody really wins when we pit Germany against the UK when it comes to fintech. It's such a global phenomenon and European companies tend to do really well in fintech, uh, no matter where they're from. So I don't think the stats really matter in this regard. And I think that just uh, ends the podcast for this week. Um, thank you so much for your attention. Uh, you can subscribe on Ed, iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Roxanne Barza and at Roland Mars. And you can also follow TechEU on Twitter. It's tech underscore EU. Thank you for listening and see you again next week. Bye, Roxanne. Bye, Robin. Bye.